and welcome to episode 67 of the Nerd Culture Podcast. My name is David, and we are the NCP crew, Richo. I don't know if I really want to respond to that. <laughs> you don't have to respond. Look, sure. I, I'm trying to be international. I will. Hey, hey, See? Luke's in on it. And Crystal. Hello. Can I do mine again in my Mr. Boyne's voice? Hey, hey, If you want to be really international, do the entire episode in another language. I don't know how to speak another language. Make it up. That's right. We put up did ya. The Robert Silverberg. <laughs> All right, there you go. That you should almost going into like Star Wars language there. <laughs> or Duka. Brandon in a Wookiee. What a Wookiee! If you didn't know, didn't know how to translate what I just said. For this episode, we have a dust jacket on the Seed of Earth by Robert Silverberg, uh, which was Crystal's pick, and then we take a look back at the, the brilliance that was Twin Peaks. Hmm? Pick the seed. You pick the <laughs> seed. What are wrong with you people today? Spiked coffees or something. Hey, I didn't make you anything. No, it's fair enough. Because you were naughty. <laughs> Hang on a second. A naughty, naughty boy. <laughs> this episode is going places that I'm uncomfortable with. First up, we have our dust jacket. Take it away, Richo. Yes, The Seed of Earth was uh, published in 1962, although it was actually written about six years earlier, so it's actually fairly early in Silverberg's uh, rather long and distinguished career as a writer that I believe is still progressing to this day. Yep, he still yeah, was. He's still, he's still mm. kicking it. And his, his, last, his last novel, I think, was eight years ago, mm. I think, Rome Returner, whenever that was. Yeah, so we're, we're talking the early stages of the New Wave, which is a really fascinating period for science fiction. The novel tells the story of Dawes, who is uh, chosen by conscription, basically, to colonise a new planet. And the setup of the world is such that several, about 6,000 people mm. are chosen each day. Each day, yeah. To, um, basically, they're just conscripted and sent off to colonise new planets and they have no, no say in it. There's nothing they can do about it. So... Um, so the book opens with a little bit about the world and about the, the conscriptees. And what the first sense you get is that being conscripted into colonization is not, not a very happy moment for anybody. In fact, most people don't like it. There are very, very small number of volunteers. But for the most part, it's it's seen as basically just destroying your life, really. Um, but we then follow Dawes and um, his fellow conscriptees as um, they travel to a new planet um, and start to set up a colony. And whilst there, they encounter... Um, an alien race that isn't meant to be there. I was specifically told was not there. Exactly right. Exactly right. The the, the advanced team basically said there is no life on the, no intelligent life on this planet. And you know what? They were wrong. Um, and this leads to a rather interesting um, experiment that uh, the aliens place some of the colonists through. Um, I won't go into much more detail um, because I don't want to sort of spoil. The story overall, and I will say it's not a very long story. So um, instead, I'll pass over to Crystal. And... Well, um, to be quite frank, uh, uh, I was told it was my turn to choose a novel. I'd forgotten. <laughs> and so I went through the bookshelf. And I went, oh, here's a Silverberg book that I've never read before. Cool. Because um, I'm a big Silverberg fan, but I've mostly read his latest stuff. Mm. Yeah. And I'm mm. reading this book. You can tell it's written very early on. I was reading an article recently that said. Uh, 
writers have to go through a million words of crap before they start producing really good works. Not to say that this is not good work, but you can tell it was written very early on. And I found reading this that I had to put aside all the enormous amount of questions it brought up, like where do they get the resources to build all these ships that keep leaving the planet every day? <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> uh, all sorts of things like that. Um, and put that aside because I worked out that the book is really more about human psychology and how yeah. people respond to being put in situations they don't want to be in. Mm. Um, and especially the cave scene, it's, uh, it's, it's all about if you were in this situation, how would you respond? And it's a quite a fascinating little exploration into the human psyche and it's especially interesting because it was, as, as Richard said, it was written quite early on. Uh, the attitudes to women in this book is very typical of the age and it's not something yeah. I've come across in Silverberg's later works before. Um, just, but just on that, unlike say Doc Smith, who mm. um, is quite sexist. Yeah, oh, Silverberg's well, actually not. No, I wasn't saying it was sexist. It was just indicative of the times in that yeah. the woman is secondary in the male-female partnership, mm. and yeah. that the, the the man takes control. Of where if they get to the planet, they have to be married off. The men get to choose. The mm. women do have right of refusal, mm. but they can only do so once. I think it was, yeah, I think they yeah. can only refuse once. They no, have to. They have to they, actually. They all three have, times they can refuse. They, 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 the they all time. have to be married yeah. in the end, yeah. regardless. But it's, it's important. It's important. It's like you said, the men. Choose. The men get to choose. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there, there is an, an important actual um, social aspect to that in that the expectation is these people have to start breeding yeah. straight away and start actually populating the planet. Yeah. So Yeah, yeah. And, and in no way is this ever seen as sexist. This is just what's accepted in society at that yeah. time, but yeah. projected into the future where this is supposed to exist. I mean, even into our day and age, that just, that's just not, not the way a male-female relationship works anymore, mm. at not any that I know. <laughs> <laughs> In certain cultures, yes, still very yes, much, yes. very much as it's written there. But in yeah. Western society, no, yeah. we don't. Yeah, we don't and this really is very much white American mm. Western society, mm. not, not really anywhere else. The volunteers, as we mentioned earlier, that is that only very few amount of volunteers. But um, I kept thinking, given the current uh, Colony to Mars project, that's got about one hundred sixty-five thousand people volunteering for that. So I was thinking it might have been a little, uh, might have underestimated the willingness of people to actually go into space there. Although, I mean, and this is, you know, one of the interesting things about the book is that we're, we're still in the period where space exploration is still kind of cool and there's a sense of awe and wonderment yeah. about going up there, whereas by this stage it's... Um, kind of part of that, it's a part of daily life and yeah. seen as an interference. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this is also written before the moon landing mm. even. Mm. Yeah. Whereas Sputnik is going yeah. off into space and where, you know, the the Mercury 7 are just about, either have made their first forays or just about to. Yeah, it's so, around that time. Um, but it's only sort of mm. probey stuff. I'm not sure even monkeys at that point. Yeah, I think I think yeah. in the world of the novel, I, I agree with what you're saying in terms of our real world, but in the world of the novel, it's become old hat. Mm. Yeah. I mean, there's, it's, I mean, there's a ship leaves yeah. every day yeah. um, to another planet. And and I, think I think it's kind of analogous to his conscription with people being sent to fight in Vietnam, mm-hmm. um, whether you want to go or not. Um, or even probably Korea. Korea would have been yeah. at the point or that Korea. he was writing yeah. Korea and um, still with World War Two in mind as there well. There was no, nothing analogous to conscientiousness conscientious objectors 
in this, though, I've noticed that, that mm. you, if you um, called up, you had well, to the, 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 well, there, there is a there, bit about... He does mention that people kill themselves, and then yeah. they're, they're, now they're under watch, so they and don't the, do that. And, and that some people would try to run, and but they would always get caught and brought back. Yeah. So, mm. um, yeah, that, that sense of, I guess, hopelessness about the situation is part yeah. of what makes this book interesting. Well, I do like how it sort of explores... Uh, one of the messages of the book seems to be you're thrust into a situation you don't want to be in. Mm. Um then you sort of make the best of it, and then mm. you become a better person and grow because of it. Mm. So that was... Well, there's an interesting thing. I just want to read out part of um, Silverberg's introduction to the book. He says, I wrote The Seed of Earth on October in October 1958. It differed from my previous novels in its greater concentration on the exploration of character. You may not notice all the searching, probing detail of character revelation that I thought I was putting into the book, because there really aren't a lot of those things in it. But I thought there were, and certainly my characters were a lot more real than any I had created before. I think that's that's actually a good sign that he's, you know, as we said, he's still a young writer. He's still, yeah. I think, trying to find his his voice as well. Like this yeah. is written more in the style of 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 the writers in that sort of latter part of the golden age than it is yeah. um, in a style that you see in his later books. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I give him credit there because he's actually trying to, to write something more and write something better. But I do agree with what he's saying. Like there are elements of that, but clearly not the equal of what yeah. he then produces later on. Yeah. And it's, it's a very readable book. Mm. Um, yes. That you can tell that it's written very early on in his career. Yeah. 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 yeah, I quite like the forward actually. I, I, yeah. I, usually, I usually don't read the forwards, um, but for, for some reason I read this one, and it's actually quite funny. And yeah. uh, and he's he's very honest about it. He he basically says, this, um, "I'm I'm not too embarrassed to have this book reprinted because um, yeah. it's because it's it's actually not that bad. No, it's, it's, not, it's, it's, not, it's not that bad. Yeah. It's not that bad at all. It's, 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 it's that sort of self." Depreciated sort of, yeah. sort of, I but it, it, it's not. It's not the book that I thought I was yeah. writing at the time. I, I think it's I think and, and the type of stuff. The type of book he thought it was. He actually does end up managing to write um, in the late sixties, so yeah. like downward to the earth and Tower yeah. of Glass and. Yeah. And how many of us have looked back on stuff we've done when we were younger, thinking yeah. we thought it was yeah. brilliant at the time, and then. Yeah, not so there, there is a there is a rather funny moment in the um, in the introduction where he talks about um, getting the story published in Galaxy magazine. Yeah, and that they actually asked him to add graphic sex scenes to the original manuscript, which he did, which he actually did. <laughs> uh, but then when they read the story, they they actually cut cut the story down. Like they wanted, they asked him to add more, and then they cut it down anyway. But they still kept the graphic sex scenes, and I'm glad they did republishing it. They've actually taken those bits out. <laughs> yeah. So it did actually start as a short story and was then expanded yeah, yeah. into novel. And it's not a huge novel by any stretch. No, I mean, it's no, it's no cryptonomicon. Taking it all on board, there are there are a couple of things reading this that need to be talked about. First of all, not not just the introduction of Dawes, but the introduction of the other three other conscriptees who we kind of follow to the book as well. Um, one, of them, one of them is a volunteer. Oh, so one of them is a volunteer. So the two conscriptors and the one volunteer yeah. who are kind of followed through the rest of the novel as well really could have done without quite so much of them. Um, the, my big thing was, this is all fascinating, the the idea of colonisation not being a happy happy thing, but it being something that is seen as a detriment to um, a person's status, um, uh, career prospects, or just even personal growth being a um, uh, an impediment to that. Um, it is an interesting one, but I didn't need it four times. I got it perfectly well with Doors, and I wanted to get into... Oh, I don't know yeah, but that's the character work he thought I, he was working I, mean, I know, I know. They're four completely different characters, no, and they, but they react think, differently. No, but the whole the whole idea is that I actually get 
what a lot of what he's talking there about there with Dawes and keep following Dawes through to and introduce the other characters as Dawes meets them on ship and then oh, get yeah, to I the colony that. a lot faster. I can see that. See, no, I, I actually I actually didn't mind at all yeah. learning about the others because then when they, when they are in the cave, because the, the four you learn about are the four that end up in the cave yeah. Yeah. Uh, for the experiment, and I think that's important. Mm. It was actually the other stuff with the, um, the with control. Mulholland, the, mm. the chairman of the colonisation bureau, yeah. which is the exposition part of it yeah. where he's actually just telling you what the world's like. Um, look, that, that, it was it was interesting in and of itself, like you know, reading about this guy and the struggles that he goes mm. through, having to basically condemn a certain number of people mm. into space every day. Um, but that that's that's the part that I think could have yeah. you know been, could have come out, and I could have learnt all of that through Doors and through the other three characters. Yeah, but like I said, it, it's, and, and, it's an exploration of how people dealt with this horrendous situation. Yeah. But yeah. then, but the other problem with that is that there comes a point where Maholland's not in. I actually read it going, okay, Maholland's probably going to come up later on at some point, either in a communique or something, and then. Oh, I thought he was number. I thought his his ticket was going to arrive. No, yeah, I thought he was going to yeah, actually was, get the envelope. Yeah, but, was, but then he mentions, "I'm well, I'm now, I'm too old." And yeah, stuff. and, and I was like, was, "Well, then why? What's the point of all this?" Then? Well, I the mean, point is to show that, that side of it and how it affects someone who has to pick these poor yeah, people that go into yeah. space. Yeah. yeah. But that, but that in and of itself could have actually been a, an, yeah. its own story, I suppose. Yeah. And, um, and because it's not followed through with the rest of it, because you do go follow the colonists, yeah. you just say they're going, okay. Yeah, I agree. I if, do like it, though. I'm not saying that's... I'm uh, not yeah, saying yeah. it's bad. I'm just mm. saying it, given the rest of the what the story is about and where the actual story should be, which is mm. actually setting up the colony so you can see the psychological stuff that Silverberg want, is quite clearly wants to put in. Yeah. That's where, that's really, where it's really got to happen, because mm. you're seeing the conflict then between... Not just people and aliens, which is what a lot of science fiction, certainly pulp science fiction, has been up until the, up until till the new wave. Mm. Um, it's about how people now react to other people in an yeah. environment that is completely alien and separate, and an environment that that they might not initially want to begin with. But I didn't mm. get to the planet until quite late. Yeah, and that's that's, yeah, that's, that's the other thing, which that, I thought was very interesting. That's the thing mm. that I, I would have gotten probably gotten to the colony earlier because for me mm. that's where the story is. Yeah, um, well, that's what you up. expect from the title. Yeah, you yeah. kind of expect it yeah. that they. I agree. With, I agree with everything you're saying. Mm. I, I just, I, I'm, I'm happy with with the mm. way it is. Mm. Um, it's, I, I mean, yes, there probably could have been some Titan and sort of some stuff like that. And I, and I understand you're saying that they should have gotten the colony sooner. I expected to get to the colony sooner, mm. but I'm actually pleasantly surprised that they didn't get to the colony sooner. I liked mm. all the backstory stuff mm. and all the build up up to it. I mean, I, I got to about half, halfway through the book and I was like, we're still not even out of Cyrus yet, mm. and. And I like that. I, this is actually quite interesting to me. Mm. And then when they get to Osiris, it, it, mm. it actually feels kind of rushed. Mm. It's like I mean, they get yeah. they get it's, taken to the, the aliens abduct them the same day mm. <laughs> they arrived. I was like, what's going on? There's probably another little thing as well. The pacing's not quite off. It, it you know, it's a you know, lots of backstory and explanation at the start, and then suddenly, whoosh. Yeah. Oh, suddenly what? We've been kidnapped by the aliens. I did like the Twilight Zone nature of it, though, which, which I thought was pretty cool. I mean, it's this, you know, normal, everyday people. Yeah. I mean, one's a like a, a bar dancer, a cherry, or whatever, you know, the other one's the volunteer. And it's just, and they just... Yeah, Noonan. And, yeah, Noonan. And they're sort of, who I just saw is uh, William Shatner, for sure. I, was like, <laughs> <laughs> I kept picturing William Shatner, for sure. I, 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 I kept like, picturing the actor who plays Jip Rossetti in season three of Boardwalk Empire. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair enough. But I'm thinking, cause I, I, cause, because I thought it was quite Twilight Zone-ish, I, sort of, I kept picturing sort of Twilight Zone sort of characters actors and stuff which I thought was pretty cool oh yeah I, I mean then yeah and then especially when you get to the planet I mean it's it's, it's Twilight Zone to a T which, yeah. yeah. which I fully embraced I was like, which is probably unexpected awesome. you know he's writing this in the late 50s yeah. and Twilight Zone 58 so what Twilight Zone season 2 
something. Season, yeah, season yes. two, I think it is. Yeah. yeah. So and did you picture? Did you guys picture the aliens as looking kind of like Morlocks? A little bit. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. More, I picture them more. And I do. I do love the bit. One of my favorite bits actually is when the aliens first show up. When when the, the guy first sees the sees them in the trees mm. and stuff, and he's yeah. like, "Aliens! Aliens!" And it's like, "No, dude." You've just arrived on and their yeah. planet. You're the alien. <laughs> One of the other characters points out later on that. Yeah. I also you know, we're you're not, the alien we're the aliens, here. We're, we're, I also like the way that he's just dismissed by the fellow colonists. Yeah, like, no, like, no, no, no. They told us there were no aliens yeah. here. And you're like, and you, you know straight away that, yeah, that's it. There's, yeah, clearly there is aliens. Because you just said there. You as soon as they're saying there's him. not, you yeah. know there is. He's the rimmer of the colony. <laughs> aliens. Yeah. There's, there's so many other pl- other things in the book that I, that I quite enjoyed as well. Yeah. It, and I going just sort of going back to what Crystal said, the um, of how would you react in that situation in the cave? Yeah, yeah. And I was actually fascinated because this book uh, struck me. I mean, it's it's pulp through and through as it goes on, mm-hmm. up until this point. So there's this very yeah. specific point in the cave that occurred where I got I actually got really angry. Yeah, same here. Right? I know and exactly I like, what you're talking about. I know yeah. I know exactly what I would have done in the situation. I would have stabbed him in the throat while he was asleep <laughs> and thrown him out the cave. And I, that that sort of says a lot about me. I think it's, it's, I just find I found it fascinating that, that yeah, a book of this type, this sort of pulpy type book, I, sort of drew this out of me. Yeah. I didn't actually have that reaction. I went, "No, hang on." Yeah, but you're a lot calmer than me. True. And I went with the whole, "Well, what is the, like with what Dawes eventually does do, which is what's the smarter situation here?" Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't have reacted to that. That's what I'm saying. I I, just, I, just, I find it interesting that this character did. What should have happened? I mean, he, I mean, he figures it all out in the end, and that sort of stuff. Yeah. But yeah. if I was in that that group, we wouldn't have gotten that far. We would, all, we would have all been dead. Because <laughs> seriously, and then, so primal. What that you're that primal instincts would have taken over. I was a lot more like Noonan that I mm. that I like to believe. Mm. So it's fair. So you so you agree. that was the same thing. Yeah, 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 absolutely the same. So you do the same thing. I, I I I was actually thinking, oh my god, this is just really disturbing. Yeah, I was disturbed. And it did actually lead to me thinking, well, what would I do if I was in this situation? I got really annoyed by it. Yeah. And, and, I, it's, I, and then I got really happy. It's funny. It's like I got, when I was reading, I got, I got really angry. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. you bastard. <laughs> and then, <laughs> you and, bad person. You bad person. Um, and then, strangely enough, I then got really, really happy about it. I had this big grin on my face. And I was like, this, this book is awesome just the, for the reason that it... it did this to me. It, it got um, that for, for that reason, and, and I actually quite enjoyed it. I, the the whole conscription thing. I, the whole idea behind it, I thought was awesome. And how yeah. they actually tried to use Bible verse to back it up. Yep. Yes, which is gold. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get some final thoughts then. Starting with Dave. But I do agree with what Luke was saying in terms of if you sort of tighten it up and sort of thing. Like, yeah. But I'm I'm happy with the way the way it is, and I don't think Silverberg's got anything to worry about. It's. it's I wish I could, it, you know it's I could do as good as that. So I'd give I, it four looks. Yeah, I don't think so. I've got anything to worry about, given that, you know, he becomes a Hugo Nebula Award <laughs> author about ten years later. So. Yes. Um, I, look, I, I think four looks is fair. Um, <laughs> look, I, I enjoyed it. It didn't blow me away, but then, you know, coming to it, an early Silverberg novel, after having read his later stuff, mm. um, probably did colour my perceptions a little bit. Um, having said that, I think there are some, you know, just some things that could have been tightened up even for the time period in which it which it's written in. Fair enough. Um, you know, but it is a it is certainly a solid read. It's um, th- I never felt like I was wasting my time or getting bored reading it. Um, there are some good ideas, some good characters, and some good writing. I give this three and a half looks. Crystal, I I very much agree with Luke. Um, I, I also give it three and a half looks, and the reason I'm not giving it higher is because I would probably give later Silverberg novels hmm. four, four and a half. So I've got to keep it on the scale. Reading it, you can you can see even though it's it's. Um, not the greatest novel I've ever read. I, you can see why 
young Silverberg there has got uh, an enormous future ahead of him. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Spot on. Just, just, you know, there's one thing I just really do appreciate this, and Silverberg in general, he's got ideas. Yeah. yeah. And like that, that yeah. story's never felt stale. Yeah. yeah. Like he's got, you know, he does try to um, introduce at least, not in this one, but certainly other ones, an idea a page, it feels like sometimes. Yeah, mm. and the ideas mean you can ignore the things like, um, well, isn't the world going to be empty if they're <laughs> shipping off this many people every day? Mm. Um, I, yeah. I mean, I'm not, you're not the only one to thought that. I actually did think there's a, there's a finite situ- situation here. I mean, he's eventually going to run out. Mm. I mean, every day they send these people off. And where are all these ships coming from? <laughs> <laughs> it is worldwide. They do mention that it is worldwide. Yeah, yeah and, and they do talk. They do talk about um, talk about it as a means of population control as well. Yeah, because the Earth has hit seven billion people, yeah. which I always found interesting because. That's pretty much where we're at now, yeah. and we're not sending anybody off planet. But I'm glad he does mention the faster than light drive as well, because it, it, when he first mentioned this, like we go off on a colonies as well, so I'm like, there's not that many Earth type worlds close by. This, yeah. this, like, this yeah. is like a thousand year trip either way. Yeah, the, the Einstein yeah. drive is they what gets out. you there. This is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so you're well, three and a half weeks. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, and um, look, I agree with pretty much everything that was said. Um, I actually, I really loved reading this book. Yeah. Whilst, it, whilst it is flawed, and I fully acknowledge that, I really loved reading it. And um, yes, thank you, Crystal, for making that choice. Um, it's really interesting to see a writer that still, that you know is going to achieve greatness later on, mm. to actually go back and watch, sort of see the steps he's progressing through to get to that point. Um, and I really appreciated that as well. Um I'll give this uh, three looks. I would say to people starting out writing now, if you're writing and you're struggling and you're reading your stuff and it's not very good, have a look at some of your favourite authors and go back to their very early stuff and yeah. read that. Absolutely. And be inspired. No, no, no. Almost nobody writes a masterpiece no, on their first Not everybody is Isaac Asimov. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Overrated hack. <laughs> That's a... Also a discussion for another time. <laughs> like, for instance, when we do the next Asimov book. Yes, when we hit our third anniversary. Thanks, Crystal, for suggesting that book. It was awesome. Welcome. And uh, I hope the, the listeners as well also sort of uh, read along and enjoyed it and, uh, and enjoyed it as much as we did. Um, and as is tradition, we'll mention our next, our next book so that you can uh, follow along. So our next book in a month's time will be David Gemmell's uh, debut novel, Legend people familiar with that book will notice that it is actually a fantasy novel and not science fiction um that doesn't mean that it's bad <laughs> it's just that i just I, i'm a big fan of the fantasy genre and uh, wanted to introduce some some other sort of genre types as well and you really can't go wrong starting with legends so it'll be interested in seeing how the rest of the crew uh deal with it um Gemmel, of course is now no longer with us and which is a, a damn shame but he's left behind what i think to be a great legacy so that's uh legend Certainly a lot of books. <laughs> yeah, and they're all good. Of varying degrees. <laughs> <laughs> varying degrees of good. <laughs> and that's pretty good. That's, you can't go wrong there. Yeah. Um, cool. Coming up next, Channel Zero Twin Peaks. So, Twin Peaks is an American television serial drama created by David Lynch and Mark Frost. 
Uh, it followed an investigation by FBI Special Agent Dale Cooper, brilliantly played by Mr. Kyle McLaughlin, uh, into the murder of homecoming queen Laura Palmer, who was played by Cheryl Lee. Yes, it was wrapped in plastic. Uh, the series is set in 1989, and each episode, barring occasional uh, situations, is meant to represent a single day. And unlike certain other shows that claim that, that's actually true. Yes. <laughs> so it's pretty cool. Uh, the, fir- the pilot episode was first broadcast in April on April 8, 1990, on the ABC network. Uh, seven more episodes were produced, and the series was renewed for a second season that aired up until June 10, 1991. And uh, and strangely enough, has not been repeated a lot since then. Mm. At least not on Australian TV, mm. which is interesting. I, think. I, I guess it's mainly because you need to sort of see it from the start. Also, I mean, it, it did, did, but you know, in the in the Buffy time slot, effectively. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. Uh, Twin Peaks at the time was the top-rated show of 1990, and was not only a critical success uh, in America, but also internationally um, for its period, at least, uh, and it's. It, at the time, it had an unbelievably devoted fan base, mm. and the show itself has become a, a pretty major part of popular culture. Um, there are still fans now of it, obviously, of, of course, but it's at the time it was ridiculous. Well, Everybody else was watching like it. it at the time. Yeah, yeah. that's and that and that would be why because it was just it was so unique, um, yeah. and it's it's pretty much. I think it's uh, I think it's probably the first sort of water cooler show. What they call it, you know, as everybody's sort of getting around and sort of discussing what happened in the last episode. It, it certainly set, I think, the standard for what television would become in the 90s, obviously, mm. with things, especially nerd television. I mean, w- without Twin Peaks, you wouldn't have The X Files, and without The X Files, you wouldn't have a whole slew of shows that came after that. Um, exactly right. Mm. And, and certainly, it's, it's long form storytelling as well. Yeah. Was, I think, a major. A, a major change in television where, you know, you had to watch every single episode, as you said earlier, and that you were following one mystery basically all the way through, um, certainly through all of season one and into yeah. the first half of season two. Kind of like soap opera, but with good storytelling. Well, even, even yeah. David Lynch acknowledges that this was his attempt to do a soap opera. Yeah. It was just a weirdo David Lynch soap opera. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, that's the point that I was actually about to make, that you know, we actually had sort of seen long-form storytelling before, but not to this quality in you know yeah. days of our lives and things like that and they do acknowledge it in the show in the certainly in the first season when they've got that soap opera invitation to love yeah. <laughs> I wasn't going to mention that until right to the end just for a joke but it, you brought it up yeah invitation to love gold it's, it's hilarious because the invitation to love is actually completely paralleling what's going on in the show itself that's why it's but important just yeah, I mean it's fun yeah. it's fun to see it there as sort of like an easter egg sort of deal yeah. but exactly, if you if you pay attention to it it is actually closely what's paralleling what's happening in all the those, show all itself. that stuff was directed by Mark Frost yeah. <laughs> so um, but because yeah, that's you know, I want to bring that up because that's what they actually were doing hmm. it's just that they did it very, very well. Yeah. Um, well, they brought... I mean, at, at this point, David Lynch is obviously an incredibly accomplished filmmaker and has already made Blue Velvet, which is pretty much, I think, the blueprint for what Twin Peaks was. But not um, that he's also become an Academy Award-nominated film director as well and yeah, had a couple of hits. for Elephant Man and um, and had made Eraserhead, the most bizarrely disturbing film I think mm. I've ever seen. And, Terrible. And Mark Frost was, a, was an accomplished screenwriter by mm. this point as well. Mm. The most bizarrely disturbing. That's saying a lot coming from Yeah, <laughs> It's wacky stuff. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, even though it was uh, huge at its time, declining viewer ratings uh, led ABC to make the fatal mistake of insisting that the identity of Laura's murder be revealed midway through se- uh, season two. Yeah. Um, which, 
is which was bad. A bad idea. It but I think, after that, I think. Uh, mm. but isn't that um, at the like like we said before? Like you said before, we weren't people weren't um, really used to this type of storytelling in prime time. So the idea, you know, maybe in miniseries, mm. even a miniseries, you know, three, four, six episodes, the story's done, done, dusted, you know, onto the next thing. Whereas in this one, it was quite clearly going to be as drawn out as they could possibly make it. Um, and people, audiences wouldn't have been really prepared for that. You know, that's too much of a... It's too, it's too much of a... Are you making excuses? No, no, I'm not making, ex- no, I'm not making excuses. I'm saying... <laughs> it shouldn't have happened. No, 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 no. What I'm, what I'm saying is... I was going to say, it was new. It was, it was new, and yeah. people actually weren't used to that. People weren't used you to that. You know, it. one of the... Because when I watched it a couple of years back, as in watched it all, uh, watched the entire thing, um, Richo was saying that a lot of people, a lot of criticisms at the time were that people were going to stop watching it if they didn't reveal. Exactly. Yeah. yeah um, which is why they did it. But what, what I think is what I think is important though is that David David Lynch said this, and I agree completely, is that it wasn't actually important who the killer no. was. No, it wasn't necessary to know that. No, because his, his the plan... rest of the town, mm. everything that was happening in the town itself yeah. was more important yeah. and more interesting. Yeah. And I'm totally with him. Yeah, actually, I, mean, I wasn't one of those people. I wasn't sitting there thinking, "Well, who the hell's the murderer?" Because I actually didn't give a shit. And it, it was different for me because I, I went into it. My stepdad had actually spoiled it for me. He told me <laughs> what the last, what, what he thought the last episode was, which is actually the midpoint mm-hmm. of season two, right. um, where right. Laura Palmer's killer is revealed. Yeah. Um, and he talked about that episode, and I thought it sound, this sounds really good. Mm. I should go back and start, and I did. I started to watch it, and um, not not knowing knowing who the killer was meant that I didn't I wasn't actually going. Oh well, they're not getting to the. They're not following the murder here. They're following all this other stuff. Mm. I was going, hey, all this other stuff is cool. All the stuff with um, the Van Horns and One Eye Jacks. The um, Log Lady. The Log Lady. She was awesome. So it was cancelled after season two, but it did follow up with a feature film in 1992 called Twin Peaks: Fire Walk with Me, which was meant to serve as a prequel, um, and strangely, kind of happening sort of simultaneous prequel simultaneous. <laughs> I don't know, it was weird, um, but it does it does boast the fact that it has David Bowie which is really yes. cool <laughs> and he does have a very weird moment in it because um, a lot of stuff that I don't want to talk about too early, but to get on to or not but the interesting thing about Fire Walk With Me was that it was actually not meant to be the Laura Palmer story no it was actually meant to be um, the Cooper story in Pittsburgh dealing with and which was meant to sort of you know base, act, that was meant to be what the prequel was about meant to be Cooper's initial contact with, with um, Killer Bob mm-hmm but not knowing that it was Killer Bob, but you know, seeing all the clues like they laid out the um, the the letters under the fingerprints, mm. and that's what it was meant to be. But because by that stage, everyone was a little bit annoyed with Lynch for having left them in the lurch halfway through season two. Um, he and McLaughlin had a little bit of a falling out to the point, not not so much, but to the point where McLaughlin didn't want to do um, the story as planned. So that's why he's only in for the first. 20 minutes of fire walk with me yeah, and not in the rest of the story which is what you'd actually hope for because yeah. let's face it you know what happens to Laura Palmer yeah Cooper is the more interesting character um, anyway. and you actually get a lot of what's in the prequel all that's discovered it's actually better to discover that as part of the ongoing mystery in Twin Peaks having yeah. it all thrown up and it's it, it, so oh, I hadn't actually seen the series but I would watch it going well this just feels like backstory to me yeah. I, I don't, I, I don't think fire walk with, with me actually mm-hmm. works but you know, it's, you know, the fans. Mm. I don't think fans. I've seen it. Yeah, don't waste time. Mark Frost and uh, David Lynch became friends through Lynch's agent, uh, Tony Krantz, and they were going to work, they work on a film called One Saliva Bubble with Steve Martin, yeah. but that uh, didn't work out. Uh, Krantz has always insisted that Lynch should do a TV show, yeah. 
based on his blue velvet sort of sort of thinking, I suppose. Yeah. Which is you know pretty obvious. What then happened with Twin Peaks, and so um, uh, Frost and Lynch sort of got together and sort of worked out uh, Twin Peaks fairly soon. They pitched the idea to ABC uh, during the 1988 Writers Guild of America strike. Uh, ABC liked the idea, um, but were sort of initially tentative. They filmed the pilot for four million and agreed with ABC that they would shoot an additional ending so that uh, it could be sold directly to Europe um, as a film. Mm. So yeah. they could edit it as a film if, for whatever reason, it didn't it didn't get picked up. Mm. Um, but it did they actually yeah. released it as a video? Um, that's the what actually picked it up, thinking, "Oh, this is you know the first few episodes, and it wasn't. It was the it was the film. Yeah. So it was did. the pilot cut as a film. Yeah, it was a pilot yeah. cut as yeah, a film. The ending. It, so what's um, the what's the ending? It, it's just basically a confrontation between Cooper. Um, the sheriff and Killer Bob. Oh, okay. And then oh. followed up, and then followed up by the dream sequence well, that sequence, yeah. um, Cooper has in the a few room. episodes later in the red room. So it's not revealed oh, who killed. Like was talking in no, yeah, in the, in the yeah. film. No, no, oh. no. <laughs> it's um, well, the, the the way it's set up is that Bob did it. Yeah, in, okay. in, Bob did it in in the film. Yeah. But um, Cooper actually later on, when Cooper's actually telling um, uh, Sheriff Truman about the dream that he had. Mm. He actually describes what was that alternate ending because he actually describes the bit where he confronts Bob and then he says, and then, you know, it's 25 years later and then starts talking about being in the Red Room and everything. So he actually does kind of drop in a mention of that alternate ending in one of the later episodes as well. What I found interesting when I first started watching it is I expected the uh, small town people to be really antagonistic towards the big time FBI agent, yeah. and they weren't. And the big time FBI agent turned out to be just as weird and quirky as the small town <laughs> yeah, people. Absolutely. <laughs> but one of, the, one of the nice things about, and when we get to Cooper, but sort of just going off that, is that he responds to the townsfolk as well. He really likes Twin Peaks. Yeah. yeah. You know, he likes the folksy charm of it. And yeah, the, he fits in. And the yeah. cherry pie. You know, cherry pie and all the coffee. Yes. I I remember um, the cast came out to Australia to promote it, Mm. and they were on Hey Hey It's Saturday, and Daryl Summers came out wrapped in plastic. Now, my memory here gets a bit vague, but I have a feeling that controversy was the cast were really annoyed at that. They thought it was disrespectful. I could be wrong. <laughs> I would be shocked. Hey, hey, is that So talking about the castle, we've already mentioned uh, Kyle McLaughlin as, as Agent Cooper. We also had um, Michael Ontkian yep. as uh, Harry S. Truman, sheriff, the sheriff, mm. who I thought did, did a great Sheriff job. Harry S. Truman. He is cool. Um, it would be easy to remember that. <laughs> uh, Richard Bamer as Benjamin Horn, um, yep. who I think is awesome. Yes. He's actually one of my favourite characters. And uh, the, the thing with, with Richard is that, because um, he was in West Side Story, so mm. that's how Lynch knew his work. Yep. Um, and and wanted him in the show. And uh, he actually, it, it was it was, it was was pretty common r- rumour that he was actually the killer yeah. uh, of mm. Laura. So they sort of, they seed that a little bit. for you know. mm. But what, what was really cool was they actually filmed, they filmed a scene that shows that, that yeah. shows Horn yeah. changing into Bob. And then, they didn't do it on purpose, but they made it so that it was available to be leaked. Yep. So they manipulated <laughs> yeah. social media so that so that it would be, it would be sort of it become available, and so people was like, "Oh, so it's it's bad." Wow. And they were it. Back before YouTube. Yeah, but yeah. before YouTube, before Twitter, all that yeah. sort of stuff. And um, and Lynch was just really impressed that, and so and, and was willing to go along with the fact that it, that it wasn't actually him. Mm. Um, so we're going to call spoiler 
on a ridiculously old show. <laughs> there are people out there who yeah. haven't seen it. Okay, no, that I, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. And we should call spoilers. So we're going to call spoilers. So for the next couple of seconds, spoiler alert, to de- to alleviate, uh, to sort of misdirect away from the fact that it is actually uh, her father, played by Ray Wise, who is actually the one who killed her. Possessed by Bob, yeah. to, in his defence. <laughs> so. I've got to say too, Ray Wise is just perfectly suited for any David Lynch project, he's just... He's awesome, but he's just kind of weird, and he plays Leland in such a bizarre way that and just works so well. creepy looking. <laughs> he is, he is creepy, creepy looking. looking. Okay, so end spoiler. <laughs> um, just, well, better say, on, just on that, are you going to mention Ray Wise's reaction when he initially found out that he was... He was very upset. Exceedingly upset. He was very upset. Apparently, because Dave, David Lynch, and, as we've said, David Lynch actually didn't want to reveal who the killer was. Yeah. But then he... ABC. ABC forced his hand. Yeah. So he had to sit down with um, Ray Wise and just said, yep. Ray, it's been you. It's always been you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's how we reveal it. That they, that's, and he was really shocked and upset. Probably because he was having a good time, really having a good time on the show itself. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, oh, well, that means I'm not going to be here anymore. You're basically kicking me off an acting gig. Mm. Um, but yeah, he was really upset when he. Um, hmm. Which is interesting, yeah. I think. Mm. Um, so it's. I mean, it, there's also uh, it's, it's a huge cast. I'm not going to go through every single one of them. Yeah. Some, notable, some notable ones: Lara Finn Boyle, Cheryl and Finn, who plays Audrey, um, does a great job, and uh, like film fatale come to life. Uh, Peggy Limpton, oh gee, Piper Laurie, which is cool. Piper Laurie is awesome. No, who was no, 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 no. the Who was the Asian lady? Uh, Joan Chen. Joan Chen, that's it. Accomplished now, what, accomplished, accomplished filmmaker. filmmaker. Yeah, yeah nice. Joan Chen. She was good. Uh, Madge Amick. Oh jeez, yeah. and and Cheryl and Van, obviously, who, who I mentioned earlier. Yeah. So David Duchovny. Um, oh yeah, and it's it's special mention to David Duchovny, who's uh, <laughs> one of my favourite characters, just because it's like, what the hell? <laughs> this is pretty. Also, who plays a cross-dressing FBI agent? Pretty much think, the seed yeah. of Mulder there. Yeah, it's, well, also, no, no, it's uh, actually no, it's more. It's no, it's actually more along the lines of with California Cajun characters. Pretty much the same. But, but, but uh, are you telling me that he didn't get cast as Mulder in X Files because of his performance in Twin Peaks? Do you, reckon, I think he, do you reckon he auditioned as Mulder in a dress? <laughs> probably not, but I get the feeling that the reason why he was chosen for that role was... Yeah, um, I don't know, he might have, that, because, you know, that way he could have said, well, I could play both Scully and Mulder, <laughs> and I could have you down with some costs. It's, it's also important, I, th- I think, to note that David Lynch himself is acts in the show. Yes, he uh, does. He, he, as, a, as a cool character. As um, Cooper's. Dale Cooper's boss. Yeah, I don't know if Dale Cooper's his name, though. I can't remember the last one. But all I can remember is that he talks really well. He's kind of deaf and he has this kind of high witched, pitched, whiny voice. <laughs> right now, you remind me of a small Mexican chihuahua. Um, also, give credit to um, Cheryl Lee, who plays both Laura Palmer in flashback sequences and obviously as a body wrapped in plastic, mm. but also then plays um, Madeline, mm. uh, <laughs> Laura's cousin, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> who bears a striking resemblance to her, but with different hair and big, like, huge glasses. It's just it's like, the, it's like the Elizabeth Montgomery bewitch when she plays <laughs> Sabrina. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But um, she does a really good job of actually making both characters very distinct from one another, mm. which I think is impressive. Uh, I just intentionally didn't mention the uh, the James Dean ripoff character because I think he's terrible. Mm. Uh, James Marshall, whatever, hopeless. Yeah, well, that's when the story started to get bad when he went off and started living above that woman's garage. And, yeah, know, terrible. Yeah. That's yeah. when it actually. Although started. I did quite like that dude. I don't I can't remember his name, the actor's name, but the the, the shut in with the orchids. Who, 
Uh, with, oh, yeah, with the orchids. The guy from Electric Dreams. Yeah, yeah, the guy from Electric Dreams. Yeah, yeah, who eventually kills himself. Favourite moments, favourite episodes? Okay, the absolute, for me... As much, as much as I love the Red Room dream sequence, because that's when the show just becomes totally bizarre. Mm. But for me, the absolute standout episode in this is actually um, when they do reveal who the killer mm. is. Mm. Like, it, it's it's a couple of episodes before Cooper and company work it out. But, you know, the audience gets to say it. Um, Madeline's death in that episode is one of the most like horrifying and amazing mm. and emotional things I've ever seen in a show. It's just really full on. It's creepy. Um, there's beautiful use of um, a Julie Cruz song during that sequence as well, because she's performing at the roadhouse mm. and Cooper is at the roadhouse and he's yeah. experiencing weird visions while all of this is happening. Um, it's a very David Lynch episode, mm. but it's just, it just works on so many like emotional levels that um, that without a doubt is is my favourite episode. And it's like there's a the, the nice thing about that moment as well is there's a nice little path in the roadhouse where the elderly waiter yeah. who is sort of seen as a bit of a a bit of a silly character but shows up actually when it's kind of important comes over to Cooper after the event occurs. Passive control says, "I'm so sorry." Yeah. And the look on Cooper's face it's a really nicely little pay up little payoff to. The horrifying event that's actually happened beforehand, I think. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, I think we're all in agreement. That's actually my favorite. That episode. is a very good episode. Oh, fine. Uh, I think the three guys are in agreement. <laughs> it's actually my favorite episode <laughs> as well. Oh, no, it's not my not my, not my favorite episode, but I do really like the episode. Yeah, I think none of us are in agreement. <laughs> well, no, 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 no. David and Richard are in agreement here. <laughs> the two important people. <laughs> I don't think I have a particularly favourite episode. I have moments that stand out, like yeah. the uh, the dream sequence with the backwards talking dwarf, and uh, yeah. uh, the log lady keeps springing to mind. For <laughs> the log lady, I feel is like awesome. the log lady. <laughs> I do love eyes uh, burst into flames. I do love when Cooper actually tells them about Tibet yeah. and the, the whole. Um, what do you call it? Experiment, I suppose, that he has with the with the stones and the bottle, and he's trying to throw them as he rolls off names, and and they're all just sitting there really attentively, like no idea what's going on. But it's a very funny, but also a very interesting scene because because it works because he learns things from that that then pay off later on. Mm. Uh, Richard just touched on the music there too. I think that deserves a mention. It's a really good soundtrack, mm. and I think the music goes a long way to create the atmosphere mm. of the whole mm. show. Well, I agree. Uh, in 1989, composer Angelo Badalamenti. That's him. Nicely done. You got a name right. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> All right, points to you, Hell Dave. yeah. Um, created the score and uh, in 20 minutes produced the signature theme for the series, and which Lynch, which, which called the uh, love theme from Twin Peaks, and Lynch was just over the moon, just loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, he, a handful of the motifs were borrowed by the aforementioned Julie Cruz. Um, for her album Floating Into the Night, um, which was written in large part by Baldamenti and Lynch um, and was released as an album. And it's actually really good too for anybody that's interested. Cool. Uh, The song Falling, um, Sands Vocals, became the theme to the show, uh, which you would have heard at the start of the segment. Um, And it had various other songs, Rocking Back Into My Heart, uh, Rocking Back Inside My Heart, The Nightingale, The World Spins, Into the Night. Were in the show. Uh, the, the versions of those were in the show as well, uh, mainly used during the roadhouse performances. Mm. Yeah, there's the music goes a long way um, to creating what I think is one of the absolute 
strongest parts of the show, and that's just the atmosphere of the show. Mm. Everything David Lynch does has a certain um, intensity to it. Mm. Like, you never feel relaxed watching a David Lynch movie. <laughs> and, it's, and it's the same here. It's like, it, it's intense. Um, there's almost an otherworldly feel to it. Yeah. And whilst it's actually set in 1989, and that's that's acknowledged, at the same time, it feels like it's it's older than that. Yeah. Like a lot of the, the fashion choices and the styles of the characters Audrey, and the music. Dress, Audrey especially. Yeah, it's very 50s. And as you mentioned earlier, the uh, James, the James Dean type character. Claire. You know, the sort of 50s motorcycle yeah. character. Um, so, yeah, so there's a real sense yeah, of... Yeah, Lara Flynn Boy Scouts looks like a bobby sock. So mm. Yeah. Essentially, yeah. 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 Mm. And so there's, there's a real sense that you're just... That, that you're not really within any real world anymore when, like, Twin Peaks is its own place, and they do talk about that a lot, but Lynch is just a master at using all of the aspects of, um, you know, directing, music, acting, scripting, everything, to just make it feel like it's just not... It's almost like it's not a real world at all. Mm. Like, you've stepped completely out of time into this rather bizarre, strange, timeless place called Twin Peaks. Mm. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. Moving on to... Coming soon. Coming soon to Australian cinemas November 28th, we get The Dark Side, which I know nothing about. Anybody? No? Dark Side of the Force? Moving on. I don't know. I have no idea. Some Pink Floyd bio? Who knows? It sounds, it sounds familiar, but I can't, I can't place it. I don't know why I haven't got any notes for it. Dark Side. Uh, we also get Austin <laughs> Land, which just sounds terrible. This is a young lady who... Can't find love. Oh, goes to this one. theme park based on Jane Austen novels, and was like, "God's sake, who cares?" Mr. Well, it's Darcy, based Mr. on Darcy. it's based on Jane Austen novels. That alone is enough for me not to see it. <laughs> and the Escape Plan, which is uh, Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger teaming up. You know, if this was 1987, this might actually <laughs> work. Awesome. <laughs> but in 2013, I'm not quite sure. Where are they escaping from? An old age home? Yeah. No. <laughs> They've broken into the steroid factory. I mean, I still, well, I still want, wouldn't want to survive either of them. Either of them would kill me. It just comes across I mean, as the expendable just, and his um, his one-time chief rival. Yeah, yeah I'm just no, I'm just over it. Oh, but the, anyway, the Expendables works for him because he's just yeah. parodying what. Well, the Expendables is basically it. Yeah, we're all now yeah. too old for this crap. Yeah, as uh, as Danny Glover would have said. That's right. <laughs> Which is awesome. That's what they should do. Another lethal weapon. They are. Oh, really? Yeah, they are. Oh, dear God, no. I was only joking. <laughs> They're not doing it with Mel Gibson and Danny Glover, though. It's a younger d- cast. I think, well, I think it might be like Die Hard 5, in which they're trying to do a transition to... Oh, okay. But they tried that before, though, with Chris Rock. Danny Glover's they might, as, they might as well just do a remake. <laughs> yeah, just remake. Oh, jeez. And before we finish off the episode, I just want to mention some of the upcoming Mad Men releases. On DVD in December, we've got Halford, which is a... Uh, a quirky TV show set in Norway. Uh, we've also got Prisoners of War Season 2, Richard Hammond's Miracles of Nature, JFK, and Secrets of the Irish Landscape. Just some of the TV shows coming out. We've also got, uh, in film, we've got Josh Whedon's Much Ado About Nothing, Upstream Colour, Ron, What Maisie Knew, What's In a Name, The Human Scale, The House I Live In, Shopping, The Sunny Boy, and a bunch, a whole bunch of other other TV shows like Offspring Seasons 1 to 4 box set, and Danger Man, The Incredible Mr. Goodwin. Some cool stuff to check out there. 
I also want to mention that yesterday is the was the fiftieth anniversary of Doctor Who, and uh, the Day of the Doctor special was uh, broadcast in uh, England and here at six fifty a.m. this morning. So we actually watched it uh, before we recorded the episode, and uh, the review we'll have a we have a written review for it as a special Who review up on the website now. So uh, check it out, and thanks to Richo uh, for getting that out so quick. And uh, just one more thing before we go, it's a lot of notifications. I just want to mention that No Culture Podcast is on the Oz Podcast directory. So if you're looking for us or any other Australian podcast, uh, you can find some quality podcasts at Oz Podcasts, O-Z-P-O-D-C-A-S-T-S dot com dot A-U. Check it out. It's got some cool stuff on there. Not only has it got podcasts, but it's also got articles uh, that can help you with your podcasting. So let's finish up. Uh, don't forget we also have our website which you're probably listening to this episode anyway so I don't know why I even mentioned that every episode which is www.nerdculturepodcast.com that was awesome <laughs> uh, email feedback at nerdculturepodcast.com jot that down send us in a f- some feedback we love it we love feedback we read your feedback out we do we feed off feedback and on facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash nerdculturepodcast Awesome source. And Twitter? At NerdCultureCast. Oh, it's on the evil Twitter, obviously. <laughs> I don't know, it's the evil, the mirror universe is the version of Twitter. Does it have a goatee on it? <laughs> of course it does. Uh, and Skype at NerdCulturePodcast if you want to leave us a message or an ask Luke. <laughs> has, anyone, has anyone asked Luke yet? No. But <laughs> they should. Hmm. You're pretty knowledgeable. Hmm. Except when it comes to the director of Thor the Dark World. No, that you're knowledgeable. Poor Alan Taylor. He was upset. He was upset, I know for a fact. He was really upset. Yes, and he should be. He did a bad job. Uh, and you can rate and review us on the iTunes and subscribe to the podcast. And don't forget, we're also an Amazon affiliate. So if you buy something through the widget on the website that uh, Luke quite nicely uh, told us the address of before, um, you can buy something through Amazon. Cost you no extra, but we get a cut of the action, which we then uh, use to pay off the, our gambling habit. <laughs> Yes, it's a gambling habit. <laughs> remember, remember, this is a family show. We can't actually do it. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just say Dave gambles every day with his life. <laughs> That's right. Living dangerously. In front of the computer. <laughs> <laughs> In World of Warcraft. <laughs> you guys are all mean. You're a big, big bully. Yeah, the frog. <laughs> That's it for me and the crew, Richard. Small Mexican Chihuahua. Luke. Close your eyes and you'll burst into flames. Crystal. Wrapped in plastic. (laughs) Bye. Bye Bye now.